Unmakers. I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which I talk to people who are trying to remake the media and marketing world. Each episode, I talk to people who are doing business differently. We're going to meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. If you're an unmaker with a story to tell about how you're changing the media and marketing world, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at tim at unmade.media. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. In today's episode of The Unmakers, I talk to Austin Mackle, the founder of Write in Stone. As you'll hear, Austin is a big character with a big vision. He's a journalist who's reported from around the world, including the Middle East, and he wants to help journalists win back their audience's trust by helping them log every detail of how they carry out their investigations. If the audience can see the research, then maybe they'll trust the conclusions. And Austin hopes that journalists will use his Stone Transparency software tool to do that. Stone Transparency helps journos narrate their work as they carry it out, capturing screenshots of each stage whilst recording themselves talking the audience through it. But will he find a business model to support this big vision? Honestly, I'm not sure, but it's an inspiring mission. I started by asking Austin what problem he's trying to solve. Trust. The crisis of trust in the public sphere, in journalism, um, and, you know, I, sometimes I say fake news, and I kind of think the two things are flip sides of the same coin. It's about the problem is directing news uh, consumers towards reliable news, right? And every, there's a lot of people worried about this problem and, and I think we've got a pretty unique approach to it. So how are you solving the problem? Well our slogan is research is valuable, make it visible, and we mean that quite literally. Make the actual research process that goes into the story visible using video. So the sort of two taglines are trust through transparency and video without the pivot. Uh, I guess the key word in terms of execution is picture in picture video. So you could call it Twitch for journalists. Um, I think that that kind of uh, gives you an idea, might give you the wrong idea. I mean, you've seen the product. You've seen our, 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 um, uh, some of our stories by our sort of pri- like pioneering user, uh, Scott. Um, how would you describe it to me? Because I've, I've told so many people so many times, I, I sometimes feel like I'm, you know, uh, talking nonsense. You tell me what our product does. You've seen it. Well, look, this is one of the privileges, I think, when you're, you're chatting to people who are very early in the stages of a startup as they're, they're still evolving their patter. I suppose one of the things that's worth emphasizing is that although you use video to capture the process the journalist has gone through in their research, it's not as if it's all about this is something for video bloggers. It's for traditional journalists, but it's a way of them, I suppose, um, them showing their workings. Yes, exactly. Our ideal journalist is someone who's writing text content for a WordPress blog or a Medium blog, right? They're, they're doing straight to normal standard, you know, story writing, like for a newspaper, but online, right? Um, and they're curious about video, maybe, right? Um, but they're doing research. They're, they're doing, uh, they're spending time checking their facts and making sure that the information that they're reporting is correct. And we track that process and get allow you to sort of market that as a point of difference is, is sort of the, the key offering. And that was all that was actually the idea before video. Video was a means to that end. And then we realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, people what people like video, don't they? People want video uh, in their content. If we can get, get free video, um, that's a good thing, too. Um, and the two kind of so you've got the high notes and the low notes, uh, as I like to say, there's the sort of immediate sort of. Um, like we say video without the pivot, there's this immediate sort of um, benefit of you get this free video component to your story, uh, which we'll talk about about how you can tap into that value. Um, But you also get this brand prestige that you build and a personal connection. People are seeing the journalist's face. They're seeing what's on the journalist's screen, right? It's sort of hard. It's like, you know, brute forced empathy, right? Um, And you're going to see, like, you know, if you see Scott's stories, 
um, you know, there's hundreds of minutes. We're still measuring in minutes, right? Um, uh, uh, minutes of research time. And the bit where you turn your webcam on, by the way, the bit where you turn your webcam on and you're explaining what's on your screen, which we call the highlights, that doesn't count towards your research time. It's only the bit uh, where we're sort of capturing the time lapse. That's one screenshot every second. That's what we measure in research duration. So you know how Medium has a read time, right? You can imagine in the future, what once people are sort of accustomed to this system, you can imagine people discussing research depth. And I imagine that would be the time someone spent researching it versus the, the time to consume the medium. You know, and if you're going to ask, yeah. Sorry. And, and the idea is that as a journalist is researching an article, they use the software all along to capture, okay, they're looking at this document, here's what they do, they talk to the camera, explain what they're doing, they've just made some notes or something, or they've just found a report, here's the bit in the report. So the they the the, the video captures the various moments rather than being something they just shoot at the end of the project. Absolutely, right? It's a ride-along. And what? we uh, you know we want you to show the... The, the audience, the actual process. Now, it's possible that you can record all of your research first, and then we might add a presentation mode or something, but we're very nervous about that because there's a lot of programs for people to just, you know, talk at a webcam, right? We're not just a Loom competitor. We're not a video product, right? We are a trust platform, and video is a powerful tool to build trust, but it's not the only one we're going to use. Um, there, there's... And to talk about uh, in startup parlance, the use case, um, you've, you've, you've touched on Scott, which is um, Scott Stedman, founder of Forensic News. So how is he using it? Well, exactly as described, right? Now, I actually had or have more like had now a network in journalism of people I knew from years. Um, and then I could have went into the bunker and did dev for a long time and then came back up and pitched everybody. Um, and it wasn't any of them that was our first user. I got Scott uh, via cold Twitter DM from a brand spanking new account I set up. I said, this is the product. This is the idea. And he said, holy shit, I love it. Right. And now we're best friends. Um, well, shouldn't put words in his mouth, but he's a, he's a, he, he immediately said, this is a great idea. And it wasn't about how I pitched it. It wasn't about uh, the network. He, he, he immediately understood the core concept, used it exactly the way we'd imagine it, which is what, you, what you're not meant to get in startups. Uh, you're not meant to have people use it the way you imagine it. But this is, but it's, it's, he's, he already had a philosophy because he'd um, actually interned with law enforcement before doing journalism. Um, and his philosophy was, I will not write a story unless there is at least one piece of evidence which I, could, which I would, you know, present to court without being embarrassed, right? This is, there's got to be something here that would be admissible in court, and that's got to be the core of what the story is written about. Right? So he already had that philosophy, and he was already doing really well. He's he was already you know rocketing, uh, already you know uh, doing. He's, he's twenty five years old, and he's he's got his own publication, and he's going to be testifying before Congress, and he's he's a, he's a rock star. This guy, right? And he already had that philosophy, so it plugged right in. And I think what we're betting on is that that's what the next generation of of journalism uh, will look like, especially at the high end, at the at the, at the sort of the premium end of the spectrum. And one of the attractions for Forensic News and Scott is that it's funded through reader donations. So he would see this as a tool for increasing that reader trust. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, increased donations to Patreon is both a product of it, – it, we get it both ways. through By building trust, people go, oh, wow, I trust this guy. He's making himself accountable to me, right? He's He's – not telling me just shut up and trust me because I'm the expert and you're the pleb. He's he's saying here's why you can trust me. I will make an account of myself and people like that. Um, and they're also seeing his face. And he, he, we also allow you to record a message like a call to action, which plays along with the research where he says, you know, Scott, um, forensic news depends on you know readers like you for support. Please support us on Patreon. And, and he has seen Patreon uh, donations per visitor go up by about forty five percent. Uh, in the three months since he started using the tool. Um, and we would say that that is just one manifestation of the increased trust that he's engendering from his readers. Well, you're the CEO of the organisation. You're a journalist by background, um, um, including several years sort of based in the Middle East, but now back here in Australia. Um, what, what do you think it is that 
qualifies you to be the person who solves this problem? Well, I'm the person who's doing it, right? Um, this is the, the, the story. I can tell you the story of how I ended up being the person who did it um, is, is, is more uh, probably the best answer I can give. Should I do that? Yes, please do. And look, I was, as, as a journalist, I was never particularly successful or talented or, or you know, um, uh, exceptional, but I did do some work that I was proud of. Right. I did work that I was proud of. And the stuff that I was most proud of was during the Egyptian revolution um, in 2011 and 2012. And I arrived, I uh, uh, was married to an Egyptian woman and we left to go to move to Ecuador in 2013. Um, and from Ecuador, from the safety of Ecuador, we watched as the gains of the revolution were reversed in and all of that, you know, the, 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 we've gone from the most hopeful time in Egypt's modern history to the most depressing and oppressive time in Egypt's modern history. And that's not me. That's, I can't remember if it was Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International, but that's their summation. It's the most violent and oppressive time in Egypt's modern history. And that's a hell of a modern history to pick from, right? Um, with unspeakable, like, you know, we talk about it um, so casually, we, as, as this stuff, but the stuff that happens is unspeakable. The, the things that are done to people in Egyptian prisons Right. I'm not going to repeat them on your polite podcast, but it's it's, it's something and it's, it's, it seems insane to me how the world sort of moved on from that. And so that kind of um, th that that reversal of that hopeful moment and that kind of got me thinking, you know, is it's like we've been really optimistic because of the Egyptian revolution about the power of new technology. Right. Um, and then we started to see the problems emerging. And I basically think that the core of the team, me, uh, Alia, uh, Daniel, who's our CBDO, John, who's our COO, all of them, where they were all involved in a project we started then. And all of us basically saw the, the fake news monster, the distrust monster, a little bit ahead of everybody else who saw it in 2016 um, through the, the election of Donald Trump and the, the, you know, the war, the media warscape that we now inhabit, right? Um, so Egypt was kind of like a, a, a warning about that that no one heeded except the people who were quite, quite close to it, right? Um, and so there was a movement called Rebel Tamarod, right, uh, which is basically stop the steal, except they won and they convinced, you know, that the, 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 the with the army and the US, they they you know put the elected president in jail. I'll stop going on about Egypt. Sorry, um, but for me, you know, we were like, well, at this point, just writing another opinion piece didn't feel like an adequate res response. We thought, well, what could we do that was would make a difference? And and a thought that I kept coming back to was. Uh, the night I spent with a guy from the Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal's Cairo correspondent, um, uh, who my wife had also worked for as a, as a producer and a translator and so forth. And uh, we, he was a libertarian and I'm a sort of lefty, uh, you know, through and through. And we had exactly the same take on what was going on in Egypt, right? And this was this strange phenomenon where the people I agreed with were from all over the political spectrum and the people who I didn't agree with were from also from all over the political spectrum, right? It was it was a kind of splattering, and I realized, wait a minute, the difference is who knows what the fuck they're talking about and who doesn't, right? And that's actually a thing. It's not just a matter of um, I have to be a good soldier in the information war for my partisan side, which is what you know I, I will admit to having you know it's the sort of Chomsky and counter propagandist role that a lot of left-wing journalists take on for themselves. They're like, well, I know that the system's biased, so I've got to leverage myself against that bias and, you know, balance on my toes while I, you know, you get the idea. So I was like, well, how, did, how could we have directed people to better news? And the idea of transparency came forth. And it's like, well, if we set a new bibliographical standard uh, that, no, that the, 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 the bad faith actors can't meet, then we will begin to automatically exclude them. And we're thinking in terms of cultural change and, you know, website design. So we were like, for every story, uh, there had to be artifacts. We set up a, a, an online met, met website. We had volunteers, you know, from, I was very pleased we managed to, you know, get volunteers from all over the world and raise a few thousand dollars and give it a shot. But it was, it was you know, amateur hour. Uh, but it was, it was a valuable experience because we saw, first of all, that people were interested. They clicked through and they clicked through on these research artifacts that we created. Um, so about 10% of people wanted to go past the, the main story and look at the, the, the process behind it to some extent, right? This is without video, without um, any sort of polish on it at all, just links to, to files. 
Um, but of course, some of the best journalism uh, didn't actually produce this this handy um, documentary trail. It was people, for example, reading science journals and reporting on science. So we had a science reporter do some stuff for us about dinosaurs. And I was like, well, how could we possibly show this? We can't republish the article. That's copyright hell, right? So it's data management and copyright hell. And at some point I realized, wait a minute, the tools don't exist to do this. And this is by 2017. Um, then a sort of core dynamic, the most dynamic core group of that uh, volunteer base broke off and founded a company um, and said, you know, this we've been doing it all non-profit and so forth. And we're like, no, we want to we want to build a new software platform. So we'll just start a software company like everybody else. And the only creative thing we'll do will be the software. Um, and, and we'd also, just before Patreon actually launched, we'd been talking about, well, patron support. And we've been going to build that for our website. And then Patreon came along. We we're like, oh, great. Well, that's half the website that we don't have to build. Right? And then we realized, no, you don't build all of this technology for one website. You build one piece of technology for all the websites. And, you know, in 2017, founded the company. So you say we're an early stage startup. We've been early for a long time. Uh, it's a long early, uh, but I think we're not, we're now at the end of the beginning, uh, you know, as well let's, would say. well, let's talk about that business model then of the company four years in, because clearly, although you're solving an important um problem for democracy i suppose in order to thrive and exist you you need to have a a a a, a business model that um brings you in revenue um how are you thinking about what your what your business model is well look i'm going to admit to um having listened to peter Thiel, which is you know something my lefty self would not uh, have have imagined. But yeah, this is one of the, very, Peter Thiel, one of the early investors in Facebook. Yeah, and PayPal and and a million other things, and Palantir, right? So Palantir is his privately. It's not publicly listed. It's a privately uh, private company which provides intelligence service to intelligence services with a lot of their tools. I kind of think of what we're doing is Palantir for the public, right? People describe the press as uh, the uh, as the intelligence agency of the public. Well, we're Palantir for that intelligence agency. We're trying to build software tools for that um, market, right? Um, but he has a line. He goes, "You've got to create X amount of value and capture Y, and X must be greater than Y." So X in this case, the value we're creating is the video content. And when it comes to Y, there's a few different ways to tap into that. We've been media. We're, we're media, so obviously we're advertising, right? just falls out of your mouth before you even um, finish the thought. Of course, we've got to have all this video. We'll put pre-roll advertising in it. Um, and then people would say, oh, well, the CPMs are going to go down. And we say, well, that's true, but we're going to make it cheaper than anybody else because you're just sort of scooping up this content as, you, as, you, as you're researching. So you've got this free video. So whatever the CPM is, it's a win, right? And that's still, um, I think well, that's still let, 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 Yeah, let, let's dig into that one for a moment, because I must admit, I'd, I'd probably want to be persuaded a bit more. Um, let's say, let's say your niche journalist gets a thousand views. Um, now, often that CPM is a $1 CPM. That's $1. Um, yeah, well, Scott's making 17 uh, dollars per thousand person who comes to his website by leveraging the video to drive up from 12. Okay. So that's, that's that, you know what I mean? So to, to put a number on it, um, he had two, he was making, that's not using advertising, right? And this is, I think there's for some people, if you're, if you've already got a video advertising platform and some publishers we've spoken to have said this, look, we've already got, we're already integrated with Brightcove. So you've got to plug in with them before this is even worth us talking about, because that's how we'd make money off the video content. So then we call Brightcove and they say, yeah, well, do you have any customers yet? Because we're not going to fucking, pardon my language, we're not going to mess about with you, um, uh, this startup that probably will never, you know, uh, amount to anything, do some deep tech collaboration. Um, and, you know, we we sort of get locked out. But what we've, we still think we could serve them later on as a um, as a premium feature. Well, before, be we to to that, own, before we come on to that, before we come on to let's, let's, yeah, let's just finish the thought first yeah. on the advertising model because I, 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 well, it's I, changed a bit since you and I last spoke, right? So before, like, literally two months ago, when you and I were talking, or whenever it was, I was telling you that um, pre-roll advertising for a free version is going to be the main strategic focus because we want to have a free version, right? We don't want to be um, a tool that's only for uh, people who can cough up. We, we think that's undemocratic and 
you know. So we want to have a free version and advertising is the easy way to do that. But it's occurred to us that there's a better way. And actually advertising, we're now thinking, don't, we can't, don't lock us into anything because we're an early stage company, as you say, late early stage. Um, but we've got to have um, uh, freedom to move. But our plan is actually, you know, if people want to pursue an advertising strategy, they get the premium model and they plug into Brightcove and then Brightcove or Google. Or We don't get into that world. We, deal, we stay one step removed from the program, world of programmatic advertising. And our free version is focused on merch and leveraging that video to sell merch for the, for the journalists. Because every journalist I've spoken to, you know, has Patreon, get a cap, right? Um, or a book like yourself, Media Unmade, Media's Most Disruptive Decade. Not if I can help it, Tim. Not if I can help it. Next decade's going to be more, even more disruptive, right? Um, but if it's, so everyone's got a book that they want to sell. So first highlight plays and you go, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm Tim and I'm going to be looking into claims of, of unmarked advertorial uh, circulating in major broadsheets, right? Um, and then the next clip that plays is you saying, well, of course, you know, I, this, I rely on readers like you to support this great journalism that I'm doing. Buy my book. Support me on Patreon. Buy, buy a T-shirt. And then the rest of the research plays. And when they buy a book or a T-shirt, we'll handle the sale. That's currently... That's the new normal model that we've just come up with that allows us to kick off and, and get in, get put the boat in the water, so to speak, uh, and start trying to make money without having some rela- any relationship at all. With and you would clip the ticket on that sale of whatever the piece of merchandise would yeah, be. We, well, we would be uh, an e-commerce business, right, with, uh, with a software development appendage sticking out from it, right? We become a... Uh, a place that sells, where the, where we, the, the journalists are Pink Floyd, right? And we're the guys that follow Pink Floyd around, let the pig out of the, the, the cannon, do the light show and sell the T-shirts, right? And, and are you also, and in this example, are you also the guys that make the T-shirts as well? Well, that's TBD, yes. That's the, that's the plan. The plan would be we'd print them. We'd run the print on demand, right? Um, and we would function, probably with the books, our plan is to partner with local bookstores, right? And so there it might be more of a we take it at a 20% cut or some not 20%, 20 cent, I should say, or some some minuscule cut on the sale and 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 have the, the independent bookstore nearest you that we partner with mail it out to you, right? Rather than try and be the new Amazon, we try to be the anti-Amazon. Um because we like we're a bunch of lefty journalists. We're not we're not the, the journalists and diplomats and stuff who who are really concerned about this problem and trying to make it a difference. And you know, we actually tried for four years nonprofit. So we're not we're not some uh, Silicon Valley tech bro uh, monster that's coming to eat journalism. We want to be on side with journalism against Silicon Valley, more or less. And in terms of that that sort of revenue stream, being able to kind of take a a clip of any merchandise that a journalist sells. Have you got a sense of what sort of size of revenue that might be? Well, for the are you talking? It depends on the. Are you talking about the, for the journalist or for us? Well, I guess I'm talking about for you because I'm. You know, I'm thinking. Obviously, there are a number yeah, no, of you. This this is all really early days, right? This mm-hmm. is all um, as you say. We're, we're as I say. We're we've been early for a long time. What, why I think we still count as an early startup is the actual software that's on the market that's available now um, came out in June of last year. So it's still fresh software. I'm sorry, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but in June of 2021, right? Um, and we got our first users and first publisher on board in September, and that's helped us really sort of narrow in on what we're trying to achieve. Um, and that's now we're building a, um, a monetization model about his around his needs and the needs of the people who seem most likely to be early adopters right but, I, but if any publisher pres- out there has a different idea they can reach out to me and we can we will be building this product around the publishers who come on board first as well so i presume what you've done though is you know as you've sort of discussed the evolving model and talked about the merchandising model you've you've sat down with a pen and a back of an envelope or a piece of paper and said it could look like that. I I guess what I'm sort of thinking is, okay, you, you know, employ yourself and a couple of other colleagues as well, you know, will you write enough revenue just to cover your own costs by doing it that way? Well, we are like most early stage software companies, uh, a loss making 
entity at the moment. We have uh, relied on a lot of small investments from several different, several small investors um, to keep us going. And we, we, I don't think there's any danger of us as a company really shutting down because the, the, the passion around this project, as I've, I've described it elsewhere, it's more like a cult than a company, right? So um, I try and be a, uh, as, as, as keep my, be as, as, as unlike a cult leader as I can be, but it's not always easy for me. Um, the, uh, the, the company is going to keep on trucking until we find a way to um, monetize this, which is revenue positive for the publications and for us. I don't, want to, I, can't, I don't want to be drawn too much into numbers and stuff like that because this is we, we need to put more we need to put more people through the um, through the machine and, and see how it works before we start committing to anything in public. But there's a lot of ways to monetize video, right? There's a there's a huge number of ways to monetize video. Um, we haven't we there's all the old ways, you know, advertising, using it, putting it behind a paywall, digital busking. Uh, there's all of that that's extending. We, we've got practice with the, we've got ex, you know experience with the digital busking model, and it works. There's no reason it wouldn't work with the other ones. What we're doing that's new is a new way of creating video and a new species now, of video content. Now and, the line dropped yeah. out slightly, but I think you said digital busking. Can you explain what that is? Oh well, that's where the content's free, but please support me on Patreon. The Guardian is a digital busker. Guardian Australia says donate to us, and we'll give the product away to everyone for free. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that there's there's an insight in that model is that if you people don't want to pay for journalism that only they can read, right? So they've had to put this thing in where people then can share it with their friends, still thinking in this sort of transactional thing where people want to experience the news and have the experience of, of sharing it with their friends and they're paying for that experience. Like, no, they're paying for the journalism to exist because they care about society and they want everybody to have access to this information ideally. So digital busking and is a model that we are quite aligned with. We can work with paywalls. We can work with any revenue model. We're just, in a sense, we're just like like Adobe software, right? We're a new way of making video, but we're also we we've just combined a lot of the steps. So rather than researching a video, writing a video, editing a video, uploading a video, and posting a video, you do everything except posting it at once. You're researching it writing it, editing it, and uploading it all at once. And then all you've got to do when you've finished researching and, and written your story is post it. And you've got this tidy little video package. And you mentioned that you're confident that your 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 belief in the project and, and, and you of your team is such that you you can keep going for the foreseeable. Um how many of you are working full time on this and what is your current runway based on the money in the bank? Six months, sorry, six people and six months. Yeah. So you've got enough to go on paying yeah. um, six people full time for the next six months. Well, our COO refuses to take any money. So we're paying five of those six people. He's he's working for us from Turkey and, and insisting that the money is, you know, uh, that he, because he's a co-owner too, right? Every, all of these people are founders in the, in the, in the sort of, in whatever sense, they're founders, right? Um, and they all have a stake, um, both emotionally and, and legally, in the company. Our goal, um, like Palantir, is to remain a private company, right? And the re- for the same reason, so that we can stick to our core mission um, and serve the interests of our client in and without um, the interference that comes from being a publicly shared traded company. That's the goal for us, Palantir of the people. And um, over the next six months, obviously, you'll you'll be talking to potential investors. Um, how much are you looking to raise? Well, in, in about six months' time, we'd like to put together a round for about 500000 But really, it's not about – the thing – it's about the time, it's about when it happens that I'd, I'd express a lot of um, trepidation because our, our goal is to keep um, – honing the product, keep talking to journalists until, and we're publishers now, we just, you know, you, 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 you don't realize how dumb you are until after you, 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 you realize the stupid things you've been doing. And of course, why, why are we talking to journalists? They don't have any, they don't have any decision-making power. We need to talk to the publishers, right? Um, it's only really clocked us when we spoke to Scott, who's the journalist and the publisher. Um, and so he could just pull the trigger and off we go, right? So it's like, wait a minute, why are we not talking? We're talking to the wrong person. At like, and with the same with the merch, it's like, well, we, if we do advertising, the whole idea with advertising is, well, someone's going to see an ad 
click on the link, eventually go click through five other people and, and order a product that, that comes through, right? Um, and we're all trying to guess what they're interested in. It's like, well, we know one thing they're interested in, Scott, and Scott's work, right? We know that they're interested in this. And as I've, you know, uh, what I like to say is that in, in the, the last century, especially the second half, the last part of the second half especially, everyone was wearing band T-shirts. The Dead Kennedys made a lot more money selling T-shirts than they did selling albums, right? And it's because the bands you listened to were part of your identity and part of your cultural set that you were putting yourself in. And I think that journalism is increasingly going to be filling that, fulfilling that role for people. You know, music doesn't have that same edginess to it anymore. Um, and it doesn't say anything about you that you listen to Megadeth anymore. Um, but it does say something about you that you uh, watch Sky News After Dark or that you consume forensic news or that you consume unmade media uh, podcast that tells me something about you as a person and if your investor or investors do come in with that half million dollars how would you spend it can i just want to say say one thing really quickly fuck the investors right i'm not i don't i don't wake up in the morning and think about investors i'm not worried about that um the what i think about is what my what what my customers need what journalists need what the people who consume news need and how we can solve this sort of matching problem of matching people who want quality news with people who are producing quality news, right? Um, I think of us, quick analogy before I answer your question, I think of us actually were a lot like Airbnb because the rooms were just, when, especially when they started out and people were actually renting spare rooms, not building whole businesses around it, right? The rooms were just sitting there. And people needed a place to stay and all Airbnb had to do was connect the value. The research is happening. Premium, good faith journalists are spending this time doing, uh, you know, valuable work. And there are people out there who want to know who those journalists are and identify them and find them. And we are a matchmaking service between those two. That's what I wake up thinking about. And we would, we would spend the money to achieve that goal, right? Obviously more dead. There's a thousand. We don't have a Mac version, right? So we build a Mac team and put a Mac version out there um, because, of course, some of the best journalists – I don't want to name any names, but probably the most prestigious outlets that we've spoken to have said, well, we're on Mac and we don't run virtual machines. We don't, you can't run a PC, a virtual PC on the Mac for security reasons because, you know, the mafia is trying to kill us and so forth. So we have to be really, really careful about, about digital security. Um, and so they, we, we're just blocked by not having a Mac version. So we, we would expand into Mac. We would be doing more visual um, effects. We would be enhancing the visual suite so that it becomes more of a, like you, you make the videos look more beautiful and interesting and colorful and some branded graphics in there for our premium users, right? Um, that's the kind of stuff we would grow uh, about. But I don't, I, I'm not here um, hoping to, um, hoping that a pot, an investor will be listening to this, right? I'm hoping, as I say, nine, nine different people, none of whom have ever, would have ever invested in a tech company have opened up their checkbooks to keep this company going because they believe in journalism and they believe in our approach to solve it. And I'll find a tent if I need to, right? That won't be the hard part. The hard part is getting media to adopt a new technology, right? That's the, that's the challenge. Sure. I might, I'm, I probably want a little bit more persuading that it's not hard to get investment. Um, and I, I, I find myself wondering, um, Given that the you know the route you've chosen is as a as a for profit business rather than not for profit, um, if someone is going to invest in a for profit, they want to see how that money will deliver them a return at the other end. You know that's the nature of investments investors in for profits. Um, now, I think if I was an investor and I heard the CEO say, "Well," fuck the investors, I'd be a bit nervous about seeing my money again. No, look, um, so the first, let me tell you about the investors who got this company off the ground. Um, there are a couple from New Zealand, uh, not people I know, part of the, the network of the extended network of the company. Um, they have, uh, you know, some personal money, some family money, blah, 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 you know, rich, but not, you know, no super yachts, right? Um, and they saw the movie Spotlight, right? You know, the movie Spotlight. And then the next day, um, uh, the, uh, our COO, Daniel, was sleeping on their couch so he could approach uh, newspapers in, in um, uh, Wellington, where they live, right? He's from Auckland, 
we went to Wellington to, to go and approach some, some newspapers that have their offices in the capital. And he was just literally sleeping on their couch because he's old school buddies with the bloke. And they said, what are you doing? And then they said, this is, this is the most incredible thing we've heard in years. And we want to be a part of this any way we can. Are you guys looking for investors? Right. So, um, and also we don't need much money because we've gone broke. We've, we've run out of money. That's already happened. We've run out of money and everybody just kept, you know, stayed at their battle stations and, and kept working and took other jobs if they needed to and, and just kept going. Um, you know, uh, look, I, 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 investment is, there's a thing saying, the lot, you know, you want the smart money, right? Not the, well, we want the money with heart and we also want the smart money. And the other thing is that she, the, the, of that couple, the, 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 the woman was the um, sort of driver and she worked in film, right? So she knows that if you've got, if, we've, if we can get millions of impressions on video content because we're putting video on newspapers all over the world, there's going to be a way to make money out of that. What's the, the hard part is, is not shipping the albums. It's writing a hit song, you know. The hard part is getting the impressions. And if we can help and if we find a new path to video impressions for a whole class of uh, publishers on the internet, the value that we're creating is immense. And we earn, the X that we're creating, to quote Peter Thiel, is, is so huge that our Y of it only needs to be a small portion to be a very profitable company. Mm. And then maybe just a final question around the investment side of things before I ask you to look to the future. Um, so you've, meant, you've mentioned that maybe in six months' time you might look for. Can I, can I just, I just want to jump back in? I just want to jump back in on this fuck the investors point. I think that's what an investor should want to hear, right? Because if you're, if the person you're investing with is waking up every morning thinking about investors, then what they're running is a Ponzi scheme, not a business, right? Because their their goal is to, to raise more money and keep the company going and pay themselves handsomely and, you know, attend startup conferences and, and you know, invest. Meanwhile, on the side, they're investing in, in their investment property, which is their fallback plan for when it all goes to shit. That's not an option for us, right? Because we've spent too much of our lives, right? We've, as, you know, people, many people on the team have, have been in real danger because of their commitment to journalism and democracy and the things like that, and, and the stuff that we're trying to, to address here, right? We're not going to, when we run out of money, we keep going, right? When we, when we realize that the not-for-profit's not going to happen, we keep going. This is because we're convinced of the basic intellectual principle behind it, right? That if people want to be trusted, they have to provide not just an account of the evidence, but the process by which they gathered that evidence. Process first, then evidence, like police. Police understand that's why Scott got it straight away, right? Because you uh, think about how journalists present evidence in an article. They strategically sort of pull it out and throw it across the table in mid-stride. You know what I mean? There's no where police could, police couldn't do that if they're prosecuting a case in court. They have to account for the whole chain of custody of how they got that. And sometimes you have to redact a name here and there, but that's the exception, not the rule, right? And police are more trusted than journalists in, mo in increasing numbers, which is a terrifying uh, concept. But there, maybe there's a reason for it. Well, let's, uh, I'm, let's so, I'm sorry I'm sorry to grandiose at you right but, <laughs> no, but yeah let, let, let's just come back and close the loop on the the investor question I'll, I'll I'll come back on on the the point you've just made and then then one final one I I you know I totally see what you say about your team being passionate founders and driven by the mission um I suppose I just I, I find myself think of you you know in in a few months time you're going to have to ask some people for some money um and I, and I guess my question is: Are you sure you don't want them to feel that you're going to be taking us seriously, not losing their money, as you are the mission? Absolutely, absolutely. The mission is to make it has to be profitable. There is, or there's no success. It, it, that's there's not. That's a false binary. If we don't make any money, if the pro, if the company is not making revenue and profit at some stage in, you know, I don't want to say how many years, but not a, a, an insane number of years, right? Then we've failed and we're not going to have the impact that we want. But more important, the, the path for me to making my investors money is making journalists money. So what keeps me up at night is not the, I spend very little time, a very small percentage of my time pitching investors. Mostly I spend my time pitching journalists who think this is a mad person. Right. This is a crazy person 
who I need to sort of filter out of, you know, uh, my inbox, right? Uh, we've been introduced, so they made you, you, you uh, gave me a minute of your time because whenever I get a journalist, you know, face-to-face on a call, in a conversation, they can't tell me why this, this doesn't make sense from a publisher's point of view and from a public interest point of view. And so th- what the, the only thing that I'm uh, concerned about really is that we're too early and then maybe we can't survive long enough uh, for the for, for the for the market to catch up, but well, that, I guess and that is the, the big risk that, that we face, and the fact that we're never going to stop kind of mitigates that risk, right? Um, and look, I and one more thing about the investors: if I'm thinking about customers, so that I can deliver for the investors, right? If I'm thinking about the investors, I'm not thinking about the customers, right? The investor doesn't want me thinking about them if they're a smart investor. They want me out there doing whatever it takes to make the company work, not trying to figure out how I'm going to impress them, you know, in a, in a conference room that we've rented from Fishburns. And final question on those investors. Um, uh, let's say somebody does come to you and say, yeah, I've got half a million dollars. I can, I can see your vision. Um, well, that's happened. I mean, not yes. that exact number, but people have come to sure. us with similar... And, that, and, so exactly that. So, yeah. and, to, and to ask the the dragon's den type question, and I'm I'm sure you might not have an exact number, but I'd be just curious to know the sort of, I guess, the kind of quantum you're thinking. What sort of proportion of the company are you willing to to hand over um, as a sort of rough percentage for that half a million dollars? Well, based on previous look, I. I'm going to say one more thing that's going to sound really grandiose, but we talk about valuations and I always shirk at the word because I, that, this is not the value of the company. The value of the company is incredible, right? The value of the company is incalculable. We're building the library of Alexandria, right? Um, but the price, I can tell you the price and, and based on, say, on tr- transactions that have happened, our company was valued over a year ago, a little over 4.1 million, right? Um, so based, it would be a higher number than that. Now it would be, it would be a bit higher than that. Now, not, we're not trying to 10 X every couple of years here. We're trying to build sustainable growth with no hype. And, you know, um, we've got software and a user, and we've got a, an actual concept here that we're trying to develop. We're not trying to run a startup. See, no one in the company is a startup person. And I'm, and I think that's the best thing because none of us would have, you see all this stuff in the startup space, like people sitting around thinking, oh, how can I come up with a good idea to run a startup? And it's like, well, we had a, what's a problem I can solve? We had the problem. We were, we were feeling the problem, you know, in the bedrock of our souls for years before we realized that a software company was a vehicle for solving that problem. Right. So that gives us a huge advantage over every other startup in the marketplace and an enduring advantage. Right. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I, I but, the, the, but so we're talking, you know, a, a, a good price for an early stage startup, but an early stage startup that has um, durability. So your um and the the, the valuation, I th- I, th- I think I heard you said last round it was four point one million. So uh, closer to four point eight. We're rounding to four point eight. So that was for the whole company. So if you came with what's five hundred thousand. As for about ten percent, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that. Um, and I suppose. Uh, again, and this. This. I guess would be the final question on on valuations. Um, given that, I think I'm right in saying you haven't got any revenue yet. Does a five million valuation seem a bit high for a company that doesn't have any revenue? I think in the Australian startup space. Um, People think about this differently than they do in the U.S. startup space uh, as well. And that our first investor and sort of the, the person who led the charge was an American uh, living in New Zealand. Um, the in America, it, people buy into what they see as the, the, the value of the company long term, and they're less focused on um, what I would call superficial early metrics. Right? I we. <laughs> You, you can make revenue by selling some potpourri uh, pillows on, on eBay, right? And that would not make you a more valuable company than people who are building proprietary software that performs something really valuable, right? Um, 
there's a there's a belief in that you know grow it first and we'll worry about tapping the value in later if you can create it whereas i mean in australia people mostly want to invest in oh well last year in america someone sold mattresses uh, by advertising on podcasts and we're going to do that right so fine <laughs> you know i don't believe i don't believe that every investor out there is is only interested i mean if you were just interested in making money you probably wouldn't even be in the tech space unless you're an idiot and you think that oh i'm going to win the lottery because i'm going to be you know the, the the tech is the best way to get rich right we're seeing the tech stocks taking a beating at the I, sorry, i'm not trying to date at the podcast but at the, at the moment we're seeing you know facebook has just lost 200 billion dollars in it what was it like how many how much you you'll know better than me how long did that take a haircut, a day, two days, right? That tells you something about the real value and how good the market is at, at, at identifying where the value lies, right? So how do you differ to other people who are operating in the trust space? Okay, well, you've got, you know, one's called the Trust Project, another is called NewsGuard, and then there's the Trusting Journalism Initiative and the People's Front of Judea and so forth. Um, and then, you know, related to that, you've got these big philanthropic organizations, the Craig Newmark Foundation, um, and you've got the Judith Nelson Institute, or Nielsen Institute, rather, sorry. What was that, $100 million bequest? Um, and I don't know what they're really doing with that, apart from some of the same old ideas. Um, but the, the, the closest these groups have come, um, I sometimes collectively refer to them as the Model UN, Right, that they've all got. They have a lot of conferences and they talk to each other a lot. And you get a lot of people in the room who all voted for Hillary Clinton, and they figure out who should be on their their list of of safe news outlets and who should not be on their list of safe news outlets. And they go. They all have one version or another of putting their logo on a website, right? And they do the whole website all at once. Okay, we've assessed the Economist. It gets the big green news guard tick. We've assessed whoever it is. I don't. I can't think of a customer off the top of my head. They get the trust in journalism logo. And now you've got this logo, your RSPCA approved chicken. Everyone can feel safe and happy about, you know, eating you. But a news story is not like a chicken breast. It is not mass produced on a production line. Everyone is different and you need to build trust at the level of the story. Not, and you, you know, if you're going to have a, a reputation system for a journalist or a publication, it needs to be built from the ground up on a story by story granular basis. That's your that's your, your basic data, right? And so what we're doing, and we're not just, we're not just giving you a, a tick and we're not having experts come in and do it. We're engaging with the public. They're engaging with the material and we're, we're building a sort of a matrix of values around the research, right? So the first one is the research duration. How much time did this person spend researching, right? It's the simplest thing in the world. Did you actually, do you actually know what the fuck you're talking about, mate? Right. I, I explain this to, you know, journalists with PhDs and they're so confused sometimes about the idea. I don't understand who would want, why, huh? I explained it to a truckie in, a, in, in the Cabago pub, the one that nearly got burned down, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, I, in that pub, I explained it to a truckie and he got in about 13 seconds. He's like, yeah, well, I have a GPS unit in the cabin of my truck and it tracks my miles. Right. If you have an Uber ride driver. Right, you don't go. Oh well, this Uber driver, he's all right. Some experts checked him out. You can trust him. You build that reputation based on cumulative reviews. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, you're going to get brigaded by the trolls. We have a system to fix that. Right. We we first of all now we're just doing the duration. We're not even having the rating. We're letting that conversation happen somewhere else. When we start to bring in other matrices like quality, what we're going to do is we're going to have a reciprocal relationship where they actually have to watch all the content before they get to participate. And that will immediately deflect the vast majority of the trolls. There was a Norwegian tech website that said, before you can comment, you have to answer a simple multiple choice question about the story. And it wasn't hard. It was just like, in what country is the story taking place, right? And that was enough to deflect most of the people who came to rant about lizard people or whatever. So we, we have a, a, a system built in, but it's all towards this goal of building a, a, an anatomy of research around each story and then building the trust story by story, claim by claim, source by source, as you go, bottom down, not top up. And we are the only people taking that approach. So final, uh, final question for me, asking you to look, look, look forward. Um, if we were to come back and have this conversation again in 12 months from now, in 2023, um, where will you be at? We'll have more users and we'll have a Mac version. Right. Um, and I believe we'll have revenue via the 
uh, merchandise play, right? And I think that will be the start of this wave of interest in merch as a revenue source for um, uh, journalism, which like all these other sort of trends will probably get a little bit too high at one stage, but I think it'll be, end up being a major part of the revenue pie going forward. Um, you know, you, in your book, you've got all these, you see this sort of industry running from monetization strategy to monetization strategy. Merch hasn't really had its turn yet, has it? Yeah, that's um, that's a, a fair point. Certainly not as a major funder of, 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 of journalism. And in terms of business, right, like there's, there's a, one a philosophy that we have is don't do anything that anyone else is already doing. If someone else is already doing it, don't get in a, in a knife fight with them about the service they're already providing. Um, so we were kind of not being true to that by just saying, and we'll just do advertising like everybody else. Merch is a way we've realized that, first of all, we don't have to, we don't have to get um, involved with these very complicated um, ad sales ecosystem, right? Uh, we can sort of do it all in-house. And we're doing something by leveraging the video to sell the merch. We're doing something that I don't think anyone's done before even at that level, even at the level of monetization. So I feel like the company really just finally took shape just before this podcast. So it was really good timing. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Austin, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with your mission. Okay. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks for listening to the Unmakers from Unmade. If you're an Unmaker, I'd love to talk to you. Email me, tim at unmade.media. Today's episode of The Unmakers was edited by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.